Welcome to this month's look at the nursing headlines from Johns Hopkins. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. Welcome, Elizabeth. I'm Trish Davidson, the Dean of the School of Nursing, and it's great to welcome you to our school today as we come into spring and the weather's getting warmer. Isn't it wonderful? It's so great. Even today with the rain, it was better than snow. And seeing coming up and down Washington Street and Broadway and seeing the blossoms, it's a time of renewal and new life. And that's a wonderful thing, but I'm going to sober the discussion, I'm afraid, a little bit. So something that happened in the last month was a very prominent actor actually died very suddenly of a CVA, cerebrovascular accident or a stroke. Let's talk some more about that, about, gosh, could we have known that Luke Perry was going to have such an issue? Understanding warning signs is a very important part of any cardiovascular disease. We know from having a heart attack that the signs are not the same for every person. And similarly for a stroke, there are definitely warning signs for stroke changes in vision, weakness in limbs. People sometimes talk about just this fogginess. So I think it really comes to understanding your own body how you feel. It's really important about thinking about what are the risk factors. High blood pressure, atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat, inactivity, obesity, all of these factors contribute to poor health. When we look at health messages and the way that health messaging is given to the public, we have stroke week, we have heart failure awareness week, what we need to tell people is that you need to eat well, minimize animal products in your diet, watch for what are the good fats, no added salt. We need to exercise, we need to look after our mental health, and we also need to know our numbers. We need to be in contact with health providers who are going to help us monitor the risk factors that we can modify, such as hypertension, such as knowing if we have an irregular heartbeat. We have to make people realise that there is a kind of common baseline of risk factors that are germane to cancer, to stroke, to heart disease. Yes, that was, that was very sad, and it just really underscores the importance of monitoring and prevention. Still, he was really young. He was only in his early 50s. And I guess one question I have is, what are the limits of our ability of detection for someone who's really that young? Yes, chronologically young, but it's also a salient reminder that we have made such exceptional advances over the last three to four decades. I've been a nurse for 40 years. That, when I started nursing in the 70s, would not have been unusual, but it really underscores the fact that monitoring has to start early. Many people of our generation know families who lost particularly their father, which brings me to something that I have found really distressing, the impact of smoking and nicotine on health. The other thing that we really need to have achieved is decreasing tobacco use. What is encouraging, we know that if you do stop smoking, you can reverse the risk. But what is really distressing me at the moment is this increased use of vaping. And this morning, I was particularly distressed watching my morning television to catch up on the world's news. An advertisement came on. The warning was, this includes information about nicotine, and then proceeded to advertising. When are we ever going to learn about the importance of avoiding toxic behaviours? 
This is also an area where I think science can be interpreted or misused. You know, we do not need a randomised control trial for everything. Have we ever had a randomised control trial that breathing is good for the body? Have we ever had a randomised control trial that if you uh, walk against a stop sign that you're not going to get killed? Sometimes we just need common sense. And I am absolutely distressed by that. So the other thing that I think is really important and a crucial conversation is that we have to out the link between business and health. Oh, I absolutely agree with you. You've stepped right into this space where uh, really effective advertisements are, in fact, addicting way more people to nicotine products. And I found it really distressing because I have spent decades talking to students, talking to patients in cardiac rehabilitation about smoking. We need to look at good prevention. We know that nicotine is not good for the body. It really breaks my heart to think that advances can be eroded by people's pure motivation for profit. I'd like to bring this back to the point you made about the manipulation of science. And I would note for you that the BMJ has recently published a harm reduction study relative to people being able to quit smoking successfully using e-cigarettes and employing vaping as their strategy. How dangerous would you say that kind of information is when it gets out there with regard to having people consider that it's not harmful to vape. Looking at that article, which I did read with interest, one of the things that I noted was many people engaged in substitution. In this clinic, I would find that nicotine use would go down, but marijuana use would go up. You have to tailor and target smoking cessation strategies. Conceptually, we have to recognize nicotine is addictive. Quitting smoking is really hard. The data tells us, you know, you need at least probably three to four serious attempts using nicotine patches, you're going to a counsellor. So what concerns me just about that is that it's a quick fix because we know that it's a combination of lifestyle and the people around you. It is a very addictive drug and you really have to tailor and target strategies to other people. I guess we could probably agree though that what we would really like is to not addict new people That's, to nicotine. I Look, I think you're absolutely right. And I think this is the difference between primary prevention, secondary prevention, and also in that trial, that was a therapeutic strategy. But can I tell you, we know as well as we often talk about that many risk factors are related to social determinants of health and how life is socially constructed. I think I know one person in my immediate circle that smokes, one. But can I tell you, I live in an area where there's lots of bars and I walk by and see these young people smoking. I'm not perfect, I should exercise more, I probably should eat better, but you know, I just think seeing these people it is such, we know it is such a toxic agent. The bottom line about this is that we should not be creating a new population where this behaviour is normalised. Not just normalised, but endorsed through advertising, which we know is very powerful for young people. Well, let us end with that and with me thanking you for stepping into this space, for calling out 
clearly this relationship between business and health. And thank you for being such a great advocate. Well, it's always a great pleasure to have you, Elizabeth, in the school. I feel as a nurse, we have such great responsibility to stand up for people that stand to make profit while exploiting the health of particularly vulnerable populations. Thank you to you and the listeners for supporting the work of nurses and health professionals. And I really encourage people to come to our website at www.nursing.jhu.edu. Follow me at Nursing Dean. And if you really want to get into this discussion and debate, I use a hashtag, hashtag BizHealth. Please join in the discussion and let's try and rally support to protect our children and the future health of society. Thanks, Elizabeth.